What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, guys? On the episode today, we're going to talk about the perfect way to convert visitors by using dynamic areas to show different content to different visitors. Marketers are wasting energy trying to decide the ideal call to action to add to their landing pages. Let's vote on it. No, let's A-B test it. The ideal CTA is actually based on who the visitor is and where they are in their life cycle, not what your A-B tests are showing and what your internal debates are saying. So instead of obsessing about picking the best CTA per page for all your visitors, I'm going to present the idea today that you should be serving different CTAs to different users, and I'm going to show you how. Dang, Phil's got the money tips for y'all. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll start off by painting um, a bit of a picture here. So as marketers, right, when a, a person lands on a homepage or a landing page that you created, users have multiple options for um, getting to the next step, right? We call this the call to action. This is the CTA, right, in, in, in the nomenclature for, for marketers. And, and, you know, obviously as marketers, it's best to limit the number of CTAs in most of the things that we do, whether it's email or landing pages, we're trying to point users and guide them to one thing or max, like two things, and like trying to figure out what that thing is on your page, like the next step, the call to action is tricky. And a lot of marketers spend a ton of time on this. What's the best CTA to put on your blog? Is it a newsletter? Is it an ebook? Is it a trial? Is it a demo? Like GT, how often have you been in conversations uh, with clients or with with your company where like you build a landing page and then like the next question is like, all right, like should it be demo? Should it be ebook? Like what are we doing to convert folks on this page? Oh, it's the endless question. And one of the biggest problems is it becomes very quickly apparent we haven't well thought through the audience going to those pages. Mm. And so it's like a buffet of options. Like we don't really <laughs> care as long as they've, you know, submit a form and become a lead so that, you know, we can do our follow-up. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm kind of proposing here, and this isn't groundbreaking by any means, but I, I don't think that a lot of companies do this well enough. So the ideal CTA, in my opinion, actually depends on who the visitor is way more than what the company thinks the next step should be for the visitor. So well, the question I'm asking uh, our listeners is why aren't you showing a different CTA to different users on your page? So this is where we start talking about dynamic areas on your website or area snippets or dynamic content. There's a bunch of different like buzzwords to, to say this, but essentially instead of picking just one CTA per page, dynamic areas allow you to show an education call to action to new visitors, a product tutorial to existing trial users, or an onboarding call to action to existing customers, and all of this on the same page using the same line of code. And I think something that jumps out at me right away as we kind of did our prep for this episode is coming from kind of enterprise consulting, there's a lot of web personalization available but boy, is it expensive. And if you're listening to the podcast today and you don't work for somebody who's got huge budgets, what's really cool is there's a lot of really great options available to you today that you start for free or start for actually a very reasonable price tag. So we'll be giving some shout outs today to, to some favorite tools. I know Phil's got a few favorites, um, but, but there's a lot of great tools out there today that can help you get started with this. 
without having to break the bank. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. I think most folks who are familiar with like the dynamic content are kind of like the Marketos and, and the Pardots of the world. Um, but there's a lot of different like cheaper tools that um, allow you to do very similar things and can help you achieve um, some great conversion results there. So uh, why don't we kind of like start, start back at the top a little bit and uh, start off with uh, forms. Uh, forms, JT, as you know, uh, web forms are a bit tricky. Um, depending on what marketing automation platform you're using, you might not actually have native forms in your platform, but let's, let's assume you're using something like HubSpot or even MailChimp has like uh, forms that you can connect to it now. Um, like how, how often have you dealt uh, with forms in, in your day to day? Oh yeah. Every marketer loves dealing with forms. They're the bane of everybody's existence. And there's all kinds of things that get kind of in the way of, of deploying forms. Stylistically, you know, your designers don't love going into these marketing automation or email tools or whatever form design tools to design these things. Um, you know, hooking them up and moving off of migrating off of uh, having custom forms, you know, that the dev team is managing or the IT team is managing as you become more technical in your marketing practice. And, and, and forms can be kind of on the cusp of whether it's actually managed by marketing or it's managed by an external or sorry, another department within the organization. Um, so yeah, forms is, is, can be a real pain in the butt for marketers and can be the bane of your existence. It doesn't mean you avoid them, by the way. It, it just means you you have to be aware of what you're working with. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it can't be avoided uh, altogether unless you you work for a company that is 100% ungated. And in this case, I don't know how people are, are getting in your product or, or raising their hands to, to talk to you. At some point, a company has to have, at the very least, a contact form or a demo form. I mean, in the ungated world, just to play devil's advocate, people just magically become your customers <laughs> through, through goodwill. So that's my universe, at least. Please, people, you know, don't be too harsh, but you know, <laughs> I know it's not reality. So, so there's many ways to do forms, right? Uh, I think the, the most common way is uh, what Pardot calls form handlers. And most, I think, um, automation pros that are, are listening right now would would agree that like you're so you're basically building a native form in your marketing automation platform, and then you're working with your designers, or maybe you've got some JavaScript chops like JT, and you're building out a custom HTML form on your site, and then what happens in the background is you're you're connecting the two forms via API and, and a little bit of JavaScript so that the user on the front end sees a nice beautiful form that you've um, custom customized on the front end but in the back end your automation platform really thinks that like the user filled out the native form that you've connected to the platform and so someone fills it out they get created in your marketing automation platform right away yeah and just in case you think i'm talking smack about forms i love forms by the way and i recommend that everybody just as an aside goes to the mdn mozilla developer network and actually go through some of the docs and like build out a form by custom html and follow some of the tutorials not because like your your company in the b2b space needs you building forms by hand but so that you gain a new, new appreciation for the web tech that goes behind the scenes because it's sophisticated technology right it's it's not non-trivial and what's happening when these automation tools are working to allow you to embed their third-party form onto their onto your website and the api calls and the configuration that requires like hey you're on the website and then you submit a form like go through the mdn guides and you realize you can submit a form and send that information to the browser but it's meaningless it doesn't go anywhere it's a lot of sophistication and an appreciation that always helps us with our deeper understanding 
I didn't know that one. I'll, I'll actually check this out myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a total, total nerd. In any case, uh, after you go through and do some HTML hand coding of forms, you know, when someone fills out a form, it triggers a form submission event in your marketing automation tool. It's, it's awesome to have these types of triggers because it triggers behavior on the other side, allows us to, you know, send event fill information over to Google Analytics if you're filling out goals or events. Uh, allows you to trigger off nurture campaigns or lead gen campaigns or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if if you're not using um, a more robust automation platform, if you're using a marketing automation tool that actually doesn't have native forms, um, you know, a lot of a lot of them don't. Um, uh, Customer.io, for example, is an amazing email tool, um, but they they don't have native forms uh, per se yet. Um, they might be working on this, um, but you know, if you don't have technical support on your team, for example, to build out custom HTML forms, um, Zapier can actually basically hook up to any any tool now today right like any api can be hooked up to zapier so you can use like third-party form tools that are pretty cost uh, effective like ConvertFlow, formkeep or even typeform does, does some really cool stuff um, and like whoever fills out those those third-party form tools you can send those events through zapier and then zapier like pushes those into your your marketing automation platform yeah, and I think these these are all great tools to have in your toolkit. And like, you know, if you're working for a smaller company, you may not have your Marketo or Pardot or HubSpot there. I mean, all those tools kind of represent a next phase for a lot of marketers. And if you're like us and you're in the startup space, like you didn't start day one with these types of things. Typically, you're probably, you know, buying uh, donuts or a case of beer for your engineering team to have them configure these things. Zapier, like, is just such an awesome tool that can become the glue to your, like, phase one of your marketing operations you might graduate off of zapier typically i find like i still have a ton of zaps that i rely on and they work well with automation platforms and that's something just to keep in mind as you're building out like the maturity of your your tech stack is that you know just because you're using a tool now doesn't mean you have to use it forever and just because you're using a tool now that you don't think you'll use forever you can use it forever as well and we tend to stick with things that work for for longer periods of time yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I, I mentioned a few of these tools there, um, but I think um, you know one of one of my favorite tools for small medium businesses or even startups um, that don't have the money to afford like a big fancy personalization platform or a Marketo that gives you like dynamic content. Um, I'm a big fan of a company, a small tiny company called ConvertFlow. Uh, they're more than just kind of a form platform. Uh, their coolest ability actually is what we talked uh, at the top of the episode, which kind of gets us into into the meat of the takeaway here. Um, but ConvertFlow has this thing called uh, area snippets, uh, aka dynamic areas of your site, where you can actually put in a piece of code in there and uh, the form that displays to the visitor is going to change based on who the visitor is. So they call these area snippets, but if you're a Marketo product user, like these are basically the same thing as dynamic areas, right? Like you're putting in a spot on your web page or your landing page that is going to change uh, the display of the content based on who the visitor is on there. So Traditionally, you know, when you're you're building out a form and you want to have it on your landing page, uh, forms and content upgrades are kind of this static thing that are specific to that page. So like you're bugging your designer or yourself, you're going into the HTML of the page and you're copy pasting the embed code of your form itself, right? 
So that's, that's one way to do it. Um, and, and so like every user that goes on that page is going to see the same form. And if they go on there 10 times, they're going to see that form 10 times. And if they never convert on it, they're still going to see it. Right. And if someone is like a customer or if someone is a new visitor, like you're showing the same form to those people. And so what ConvertFlow is uh, introducing in their product um, is the ability to show dynamic forms, like different forms based on who the user is on, on the website. Mm-hmm. So just just let me make sure I totally understand this because uh, while I'm aware of a lot of tech in this space, uh, there's always new stuff for me. And ConvertFlow, frankly, was a little bit new for me. Sometimes I'm embarrassed as a MarTech person to admit that new tools are totally new to me. But yes, some tools are very new to me and I, I'm not constantly on the hunt. It's not embarrassing at all, man. Like okay. what is there, like 8,000 or 9,000 different tools on the, the MarTech landscape of Doom? Yeah, there. I was hoping you'd give me that sweet radio voice soundbite. Um, so let me, let me understand this. You, anonymous visitor comes to your website. You have your standard form. You want to move them into your, your you know, typical program. They, they convert. Then they come back to that page at a different point, maybe like a blog or something like that. They downloaded your, your email course and they're going through your email course. Listen to that episode, people. And then after, after they're in your database, you're known, then we can serve up a more interesting one. Hey, you did your top of funnel offer. Now, why don't you check out our free trial or why don't you request a demo? Am I right? And that's kind of how it works. The technology is working. Yeah, exactly. So like you, you can show a trial form to a content lead because that's your next kind of logical step, right? Or you can show a webinar form to existing customers, like based on where someone is in the life cycle, the natural next step is going to involve a different CTA. So it, it enables you to like not have to have those debates and A-B tests, like what's the right CTA to have on this page. You know that like if someone has a new user, they're going to see the CTA that can converts them at the top of the funnel. And if they're an existing user in trial, like, you know, they're going to see the next logical step to move down the funnel and talk to sales or whatever. So, um, yeah, like, and, and once users have kind of seen that form already and haven't converted on it, you can like show them a different content form. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of like recycling all the different eBooks that you have. So, um, it's, it's a way to convert more users, but also a way to um, push people down to the next stage of the funnel. So one of the things in a bit of a, maybe a sidebar, maybe not, but one of the things I love to think about is forcing functions and marketing. And to me, like deploying a tool like ConvertFlow, looking at their pricing page, I'm like, oh man, their, their pricing is so easy. It's so accessible to, to jump in. Um, easy enough that I paid all my personal credit card just to go in. No affiliation, by the way, although we're welcome an affiliation. Um, kidding, totally kidding. Um, but the idea of this forcing function is that well, if I want to serve up dynamic ads to, to, or dynamic forms to my audience, I better understand my audience pretty well. So you've, you've got to do your homework, right? You can't just be like, well, I got a bunch of forms. I'll, I'll rotate through them. Like that's pretty inefficient marketing. We I mean, might be successful in terms of like, uh, like a, like the law of diminishing returns, right? Like you'll get immediate return from having dynamic forms on your website, but the real value will come from understanding your audience Again, I don't know anything about ConvertFlow. I've never even looked in their UI. But Phil, like, what kind of tooling do they have for like, dynamically tracking users and segmentation um, that allow you to do that kind of cool stuff? Yeah, um, that's that's a great point, actually, on the the customer understanding and, and, and the pain points part of it. I think that, um, you know, we, we have a big plan for uh, a whole slew of episodes around lifecycle. And I think that, like, 
understanding your customers comes first and then doing life cycle comes next and like area snippets and figuring out how to do conversion rate optimization and crow on your site kind of comes after that. Like once you have those insights and you're able to say like, okay, um, you know, for new visitors, we're going to show this ebook because it converts the best people or we're going to show this email course offer at the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for anyone that's like viewed the pricing page and they return to the homepage, we're going to show the trial call to action there or like mm-hmm. the demo call to action. Um, but it's like less about those things. Like that's understanding the customer journey and, and the life cycle part of it. But understanding like the customer pain points is like severely important when you're like trying to convert folks at the top of the funnel. Right. So if you've yeah. got, let's say 15 different eBooks and you've got, um, let's say we're, we're transistor again. Right. So we've got eBooks at the top of the funnel that help out like, um, e-commerce companies. Maybe we're helping out like retail companies. And so there's a bunch of different like eBooks that they have for different verticals, like, why not like show different forms for those eBooks based on what you already know about those folks in in your product, right? So if someone starts a free trial of Transistor and they tell you that like they're an e-commerce company and they go back on the website, like you should be showing them the type of content upgrades that are related to e-commerce instead of just like the standard static form that you have on embedded landing pages. Yeah. And like this gets us into, into the idea of personalization and the promised land that personalization has brought to all of us marketers of, of frankly, like what's the best, the number one uh, form of marketing on the planet. It's not changed, not since ancient times. It's word of mouth. You know, if you're going to go eat some, you know, bison off of, uh, from, you know, some fellow hunter killed, you're not going to just eat it. If a hunter says, Hey, like, look at this, this is pretty good stuff. We're the same way. We're still, we're still taking recommendations. We still require that social proof. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on the internet, we try to replicate it with these, these fancy blocks and stuff. Personalization gets us even closer to that. Um, in, in kind of the prep for this episode, I, te- I checked out a few of the competitive tools to convert flow. There's a lot of great tools out there. I'm not going to name names, but, uh, one of them anonymously tried to be clever to me and, and personalize my experience to them and failed pretty miserably. Uh, I'm in my home office right now as everybody else is enduring this boring pandemic. Um, that was a snort by the way. Uh, and they served me up and I, and I gotta say, I'll give a plug to the company. They're like, uh, personalize alertlabs.com. I don't, I never knew who alert labs was. It turns out it's a local startup that has a headquarters nearby. And I thought, Oh, they're a cool startup. Not me, not even close to me. Um, and so there's, there's definitely opportunity for this stuff to, to fall a little flat. I think on the anonymous IP tracking, like when you're doing a, an IP lookup, like that can be a little bit more tricky and you've got to test your own comfort level on, on falling flat on that front. Yeah, so a lot of these personalization tools use uh, what we call reverse IP lookup, right? So the only way for a company or a tool, uh, like let's name drop a Clearbit Reveal, for example. Mm-hmm. Clearbit Reveal allows you to reverse someone's IP and tells you like the, the company domain related to that. So in a world where everyone was in the office and everyone was logging into the internet from the same IP address, it was easy for companies like Clearbit to see that like all this traffic came from this company and like when you land it on a page it says like hey uh, john from humans and martech like how's it going we know you're logging in from your company network whatever um but yeah as you mentioned working from home like this reverse ip tech uh gets a little trickier and i'm definitely not an expert in in this space by any means but i've 
heard a lot from from smart folks that that said that COVID in and remote work is really hurting the accuracy of this data. Um, some folks have found ways to getting around it. Like a lot of companies, especially enterprise that are moving to personal from home, still mm-hmm. are locked VPN, uh, virtual private networks. So this uh, also would work for reverse IP lookup because on, on the website, like you're actually logging in from the company's VPN IP. So, you know, that's, that's a really interesting point. And I, I don't know if like the effectiveness of, of these tools is going to drop with more work from home based opportunities, but it's it still, it still presents a lot of opportunities for displaying different type of content based on the folks that you already know that are returning visitors. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, me being a bit of a skeptic here around certainly the, the anonymous level. I think I'm totally sold on personalization when you understand and know the contact. You already have that exchange of email. You can do your data pending with your ClearBet tools or whatever data pending tools you have. Okay, now I can serve you up because I understand your, your market segmentation. I understand something about you. We've done our persona homework. But when it comes to the anonymous side of things, I think that, these tools, again, my experience with, with one of the unnamed competitors was, while it was really personalized in some ways, but it was totally off the mark because it wasn't me and it was actually a turn off. And I went to incognito to verify. I'm like, wait, this is so weird. Like it felt like so weird because it wasn't my name. But I will say this is that if it, it, it can be a lazy shortcut to you, you know, learning more about your customer. And that's what marketing is all about, right? If you have top of funnel content or you have content on your website, like get to know your, your segmentations. And if you know your segmentations, personalization becomes another tool in your kit, but it's not the first tool you should, you should maybe go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the welcome mats with like drift and, and clear bit reveal that like say, Hey John from Clipfolio, like it's great to see you. You're probably interested in this, blah, blah. Like I'm, I'm not as big of a fan of those as mm-hmm. using personalization as a way to change the content on your site. Um, like you, you talked about customer testimonials as kind of a, a big part of uh, anyone's homepage or like being able to show different logos of existing customers to different type of visitors is a huge, huge, plus in getting those folks to convert. So um, I'll, I'll name drop like some of these tools that do this. So Proof and Mutiny uh, in, in my books are kind of like the, the leading tools in this space. And they got really hot onto the scene when they claimed um, a couple of years ago that A-B testing was dead. And, uh, you know, every every marketer says that everything is dead. Like, let's let's move on from that point. Long, but, long live A-B testing. <laughs> A-B testing is dead. It's actually a really interesting take. Um, we could probably do a full episode on this, but it's, um, you know, it's like why launch an A-B test on your site for for all of your visitors and muddying all the results when you can launch an A-B test on your sites to only the people you care about, right? So like imagine your homepage. You're launching an A-B test on your homepage. Like maybe it's H1 or you're like trying to show a different um, like image, uh, a hero image at the top of the page. So you're doing an A-B test on this and a bunch of people you don't give a crap about are landing on your homepage and muddying the results of your test. Um, And, you know, maybe your test is just to try to see how you can convert more uh, anonymous traffic, more new visitors. But like the the folks that are muddying the results are like existing customers, like students that are like Mm, coming in on masses or like uh, people from your own company that are like clicking on things and muddying the results. Um, So like that's, that's kind of like how they got into uh, hot onto that scene. 
Well, and I like I like the spirit of people disrupting things, right? Like we should constantly reevaluate whether we're doing this, not just be groupthink on, you know, should we do A-B testing or not do A-B testing? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely hardcore. Yes, you should do A-B testing. I'm also, you know, sometimes very terrible at doing A-B testing. It's a, it's a hard practice, to be honest with you, to always follow through on. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, you know, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> So what are, the, what are the most common playbooks for this and what types of tools are people using or strategies are people using to drive revenue around this? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different ways to, to tackling this. Uh, I think it's going to be different for, for each company. What, what I've seen as uh, some of the most popular playbooks for this is vertical segmentation. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're talking to finance folks or e-commerce folks, uh, you know, folks that are from HR, folks that are marketing, sales, whatever vertical or department they're from, you have an opportunity to talk to those folks differently than just like assuming that they're part of your your target persona. So for Transistor, this would be like showing an e-commerce podcast uh, example on their homepage to potential e-commerce visitors. And it would be showing like new sales podcasts to people that they know come from like a sales background. So like, the type of data that you get based on knowing like the the interest of, of some of these folks is is tricky. Like we talked about reverse IP and bending some of that data from uh, the company's domain itself. But a lot of the times you can actually infer segmentation uh, from some of these users. And uh, we I, I have a plan for a full episode on this, but essentially like following the footsteps of your user across your website on the first visit will give you a really good indication of their vertical if you have those verticals pages set up, right? Like at Clipfolio, if you go on their site, like they have marketing examples for KPIs and there's a bunch based on different verticals. So if you look at someone's session and they go through and they look at the e-commerce metrics, like guess what JT, this person is telling you that like their vertical is likely e-commerce. So the next time they go back on your site, on the homepage or the pricing page or whatever, you have the opportunity to show this person e-commerce type of stuff that like Clipfolio or Transistor or whatever the company is like is an expert in, in that vertical or you can show customer testimonials from existing customers in that same mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but do marketing for Clipfolio, Phil, even after you left. <laughs> Why'd you leave? Why'd you leave? I think with, for all the listeners, I think the one thing to keep in mind with these tools is that they're super dope, super cool. And like the top marketers in the industry are using them. Sure. But sometimes you got to build your marketing brick by brick. You might not be ready. You might not have the segmentation profiles or persona profiles to be able to utilize tech like ConvertFlow, which is super dope, right? Um, so don't be just driven by this technological need to try new things and do new things. Like we're giving you a lot of great tips in terms of getting started. But I think one of the things that Phil and I both would agree on is you've got to have that strategy behind the scenes in order to utilize this technology. Absolutely. So there you have it, folks. Instead of obsessing about picking the best CTA per page for all your visitors, try to figure out how to serve different CTAs based on who the visitor is and where they are in their life cycle. Thank you.